Welcome to Trinity on Tap, The New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. Welcome back. This is Trinity on Tap 1.3. The old is in the new revealed, and the new is in the old concealed. Have you ever wondered how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament? I often hear people say things like, I'm not a fan of the Old Testament, or I prefer the New Testament. But the fact is that the New Testament is incomprehensible apart from the Old Testament. In the same manner, the New Testament isn't a sequel to the Old Testament. The New Testament is the climax, the crescendo, the fulfillment of everything promised in the Old Testament. To paraphrase the famous theologian Augustine, the new is concealed in the old, and the old is revealed by the new. All of the key words and concepts that the New Testament applies to Jesus are derived from the Old Testament. For example, the concept of a Jewish Messiah, or Christ, which means anointed one, Jesus as the Passover Lamb of God, the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the promises of the covenant. All of these make no sense unless they are illuminated by the Word of God in the Old Testament. And we see this thing at play in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79, where Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, offers a spirit-filled prophecy about the salvation that comes from the God of Israel through the line of David. This Redeemer was spoken of, he says, by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, verse 70. And he was prophesied as someone who would, quote, save Israel from her enemies, verse 71, and give Israel knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And both of those come in verse 77. And all of this was to give light to those in the dark so that their feet might be guided into the way of peace, verse 79. The Redeemer, of course, that it speaks of is Jesus Christ. Luke's gospel tells us in chapter 1, 72 through 73, that God's redemption and salvation was coming into existence through Jesus to demonstrate God's mercy which was promised to the people of Israel in the Old Testament by remembering his holy covenant. More than any other concept in the Bible, it is this concept of covenant that helps us to understand the New Testament. Luke describes this covenant as, quote, the oath that God swore to our father Abraham. Now I want you to consider the promise that God made to Abraham and Abraham's descendants all the way back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, which is in the Old Testament. I'm going to read that for you. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Later, in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, that same promise is mentioned again, and this time, God counts Abraham's unwavering trust as righteousness. And I want to read that again to you, and it's, it's good to get in the habit of hearing Scripture. Sometimes when we're racing through life, we just race through reading, we race through Scripture, and we forget that this is the story of God's faithfulness to us for the life of the world. And it's the Word of God. So hear it, and, and let's train ourselves to be hearers of the Word and also doers of the Word. Here's Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look, look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then God said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abraham as righteousness. Now, it is important to remember that both of these Old Testament texts occur way before the covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17. Beginning there, we encounter a series of covenants that then lead to what is called the Mosaic Covenant. And these covenants mark out the Jewish people as a particular chosen people of God through whom salvation is going to come to the whole world. Yet, the Apostle Paul spends a, a good deal of time in the epistle to the Romans and elsewhere speaking about the way in which these initial Old Testament promises to Abraham were received by faith before the Jewish law was given, before. And this is really important, and there's two reasons why. First, since God's promise to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham came by faith before the giving of the Jewish law, it stands to follow that God's redemption was meant to reach all people, not simply one people group. Another way of conceiving of this is that God chose Israel not instead of the other nations, but for the sake of the other nations. Second, it shows that the Jewish law, the Torah, it wasn't given to replace the initial promise to Abraham, but it was a means of bringing that promise to fruition. You see, Christianity was never meant to be a replacement of Judaism. Christianity is the full realization of God's covenant with the Jewish people. Judaism does not exist as a you know, negative foil for Christianity, functioning as a sort of earlier, lesser form of religion. No, no, no. Rather, Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, the covenant promises of universal blessing that God made with Abraham would extend 
through the covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17, through Israel to the world. And that's the key point of thinking how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. They're not at odds with each other. They don't cancel each other out. The New Testament is the culmination and climax of everything that went before. Yes, the Old Testament is not at odds with the New Testament. Rather, it is through God's covenant people, Israel, that the faithful Israelite, Jesus, comes to make good on God's promises to bless the entire world through Abraham by the person of Jesus himself, who is the Jewish descendant of Abraham in the line of David. Jesus himself is God's covenant faithfulness, his promise to keep the covenant to bless the families of the earth through Israel. And this is where the commonly stated truth that a covenant is not a contract is profoundly illuminated by God's own action in Scripture. You see, a contract involves no familial, unwavering affection or commitment. It's simply a legal document. When it is broken, there's no expectation of mercy or care or compassion from the offended party. Far from establishing a detached, lifeless contract, however, with Israel, which when broken, God could simply abandon, God laid down his own life as a sign of his unconditional covenantal commitment to save humanity. God didn't make a contract, he made a covenant, and we are his sons and daughters. And that's meant to go to all the world. And that is good news. And you know, unless we understand the continuity of the covenant of grace across the entire canon of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it can appear that Christianity is God's second try after the first try of the Old Testament didn't quite cut it. But this could not be further from the truth. Instead, instead, stunningly, sovereignly, God's plan of salvation, God's covenantal promise to save the world through Israel makes its way through the salvation history of the Jews and culminates in the crescendo of the cross and the resurrection of the Christ. And to take us back to the prayer of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, all of this was the definite plan of God from the beginning. He was not surprised. He, in his great wisdom, chose to save the world through Israel and through Israel in person, Jesus Christ. You know, in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, at the Last Supper, Jesus refers to the cup of wine as the cup that is poured out for you, which is, and hear this, the new covenant in my blood. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 11.25, the Apostle Paul cites the Eucharistic tradition of the Lord in which Jesus likewise affirms that the communion cup is the new covenant in his blood, the new covenant. And this new covenant is elsewhere referred to as a better covenant in Hebrews 7.22, which makes the Old Covenant obsolete, Hebrews 8, verse 13. In calling, though, the Old Covenant obsolete, the author of Hebrews is not speaking in a derogatory manner about the Old Covenant. Rather, he's attempting to demonstrate that the Old Covenants with Abraham and Moses have found their fulfillment in the New Covenant of Jesus Christ. And this New Covenant creates a new people, the church, 
This is a people whose existence is now centered on Messiah Jesus as the mediator of a new covenant established through his own shed blood, which has atoned for the sins of the world, Hebrews 12, verse 24. And it has brought justification, and it has brought sanctification and redemption and the hope of glory to all people. Hebrews 8, verse 8 through 10 announces that this new covenant is of a more intimate and transformational nature than the older covenants. For the new covenant, it says, will be written by the Holy Spirit on the hearts and minds of people, and not only externally on tablets of stone. And we also see the Apostle Paul talking about this in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 3 and 7. Far from being an abandonment of God's original plan to save the world through Israel, this new covenant is a fulfillment of God's promises. In fact, we see this even in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33, there the prophet speaks about the new covenant mentioned in the New Testament Gospels and in 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews. But this was written way before those. And here, the coherence of the voice of God between Old and New Covenant, not at odds with each other, completing what God promised to do. Here, Jeremiah, way before Jesus was even born, talking about this new covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. This new covenant, this new covenant people, the church, consists of women and men from every nation, every tribe and every tongue, Jew and Gentile. And it brings together those who were once separated by religion, by culture, by socioeconomic status and geography into one new covenant family, one new body, the body of Christ, as we read about in Ephesians 2 and Galatians 3 and Colossians 3 and Romans 3. It's a new temple of the living God. And most surprisingly, under this new covenant, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, human beings are brought into right relationship with God, justified by faith in Him, and we become law keepers by God's power through the bearing of the burdens of others in love. Galatians 6, verse 2. And as Romans 13, 10 reveals, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, when we read the Old Testament apart from the New, 
it can appear that God was busy giving a bunch of arbitrary laws, being a holy nitpicker, in a generally horrible mood. And then, you know, when the New Testament comes along, after, you know, perhaps listening to some psychedelic rock and chomping on some magic mushrooms, God decided to ditch his former grouchy ways, trading in his wrath for a bathrobe and a pair of sandals so that he could walk around Palestine as the man Jesus, reading random, esoteric, philosophical statements from fortune cookies to other pseudo-hippies, whilst the Apostle Peter played a sitar and they traveled from town to town like a circus of sanctified stoners seeking the ultimate spiritual trip during the original summer of love. This, as we've seen, is not the case. Consider what the author of the Gospel of John reveals in John 1, verses 14 and then 16 through 17. Hear the word of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from him we have received fullness, and we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And if you read in the margin of most contemporary translations of the Bible, the phrase in verse 16 there in the Gospel of John, grace upon grace, is literally grace in place of grace. Or even more literally, grace instead of grace. You see, it is not that God changed and suddenly became a God of grace, a God of salvation and love in the New Testament. Grace in the old precedes grace in the new. Grace in the new is the continuation, the expansion of God's future grace with Israel, through Israel, and it is the expansion of God's prior grace in the Old Testament. God has always been a God of grace, and his covenant with Israel in the old is revealed in its fullness in the new, in the person of Jesus Christ. God is a gracious God. Salvation is by God's grace alone. It cannot now, nor could it ever have been earned. It comes completely by grace as a gift from God to us. And when we learn to read the New Testament, not as a replacement, but as a fulfillment of the old, grace in place of grace, the scriptures come alive and the inspired, infallible fullness which they reveal to us. A God who is faithful to his covenant, who graciously saves the world through Israel and through the person of Jesus Christ. This week, I want to invite you to read through the first four or five chapters, maybe, of the Gospel of Luke. Note down any time you see references to the Old Testament figures, like for instance, Abraham or David, or if you see references to covenant, God's covenant with Israel, God's new covenant, those sort of things. Absorb that idea and, and then try and realize how without the old, we do not have the new, and without the new, we cannot understand the old. 
It's going to completely change the way you read the Bible. And most importantly of all, as you come to understand the coherence of the canon, both old and new, Genesis to Revelation, and you come to understand it's one story of grace and salvation for the life of the world, I pray that you'd be drawn more deeply into the beautiful mystery of the faith, which you encounter through this perfect, infallible, trustworthy revelation found in Holy Scripture. Marvel at it. Read, mark, learn, inwardly digest it. Do not stand over it in judgment. Stand under it in the freedom and responsibility and beauty of holiness that it provides and that it evokes. Nothing that I can say can ultimately convince you that God's word is living and active. Nothing, nothing that I can say. Nothing that I can say can convince you that the word of God is able to offer eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet, yet that is what the scriptures teach. And when you read them, you'll find that strangely, spiritually, they are self-authenticating. As you diligently work through them, you'll find that God, by His Spirit, is powerfully at work in you, shattering a heart of stone that was unable to respond to God and replacing it with a heart of flesh that is being renewed in the very image of God. And you will be changed, not because you are so wise, but because God is so gracious and so good and so eager to bring you to a life-transforming knowledge of Jesus Christ. God has spoken. God speaks to us now by his word, through his spirit. And I invite you this week to listen and to be changed. Catch you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.